The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. everybody and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where good taste and bad taste collide. <laughs> That's always fun. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic and people call me Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. And with good cause. I'll uh, kick off the show with a little, little Dune reference. There you go. Very what are, little. What are, we, uh, what are we reviewing this week? I will kill him! Uh, we are reviewing a ton of new movies, none of which are called I Will Kill Him, although mm. given how dour and depressing so many of these films are, I wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, we're reviewing the new releases Antebellum Alone, The Devil All the Time, Spiral, and Wireless, and on the critically acclaimed streaming club, where we are taking the opportunity when... There are no new movies in theaters, uh, or at least none that we can get to. Uh, we are watching older movies that one or both of us have never seen, and uh, they're all selected at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash network. All of our patrons get to vote, and this week they voted for the film noir classic Cape Fear, starring Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. Uh, yeah, and I had never seen it. I, that's and interesting this, to this me. Is, and this is my first Cape Fear. I haven't seen either of the Cape Fears. Oh, interesting. So, okay. yeah, this is well, my first Cape Fear. Uh, now I can watch the uh, the Scorsese rendition completely tainted with the memory of the original. <laughs> the, the Scorsese version makes a lot of shout-outs. Like, like three of the main... Like, Gregory Peck, Martin Balsam, and Robert Mitchum all have cameos in the remake. Oh. He's <laughs> celebrating that it's a remake. Oh, okay. It's not... You'll get a lot out of it. It'll be fine. All right. Uh, but in any case, yeah, we got a big packed show this week. Uh, this show is a day late, and let me tell you why. Whitney came over last night to record, as he often does, hmm. and I had been having a really bad allergy day, so I had taken a Benadryl, and we got about 10 minutes into the episode when we realized that I was like so loopy because I hadn't really eaten You're much that day. <laughs> I was like mixing up words Saying the wrong words and forgetting people's names And I was really logy and tired And we realized that like no this ain't happening So we decided to cut our losses You you would have suspected he was drunk And we don't drink when we do this podcast We drink caffeine or tea or something And for the record this is one Benadryl I had one (laughs) over the counter Benadryl Uh, Lightweight Apparently so So uh Use Benadryl responsibly. I did not realize how hard that was going to hit me. So, um, yeah, wouldn't have been a good podcast, so we decided to push it back a day. I apologize for that. Now we can move on with our day. Yes. Whitney, are you mixing some chemical compound over there? Yes, the enlarging formula is nearly complete. No, this is just my cup of tea. Okay. I'm drinking (laughs) some uh, some delicious Yao Pan as we record. Let's find out if any of the new releases this week were also your cup of tea. Uh, Some of them were. Ooh. Some of them most definitely were not. Well, let's start with the film that would have been the biggest release of the week because this was actually intended to go to theaters. We almost came out earlier this year. It got pushed back because of, well, the pandemic that is 
everywhere right Still now. raging. Yeah. Still quite bad. Um, I know there's a lot of other bad things distracting us, but the pandemic is still there, so be responsible. Uh, but in any case, the horror movie Antebellum was supposed to come out earlier this year, and it finally came out last week uh, on VOD. Uh, this stars Janelle Monet in her first lead role. She'd previously been parts of, ense- of ensembles. Like co-leads, hidden, yeah. Yeah, co-lead in Hidden Figures, or uh, definitely an important part of Moonlight, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this is her first, like, starring role. The whole movie rests on her shoulders. Uh, and it is a horror movie that is a little hard to discuss in terms of its plot because of the way it is structured. So, yeah, and, it's, and honestly, it's, it feels it's one like of a those, bit of a cheat. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's one of those, yeah, we have to tread really lightly, yeah. uh, we and dare it's... you to talk about our movie. <laughs> we dare I'm, you to talk about. I'm it not going to say Shyamalan, but God damn it, you Shyamalan us. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a theory I have. I used to call it the Red Eye Factor, and now I call it the Terminator Genesis Factor. Where um, oh, they they give away the most interesting plot twist in the previews. It's not that actually, although that's part of it. Hmm. There is a storytelling structure that is very dangerous to do in a major movie release, and the reason is. Because you can't market it. Mm -hmm. And that is a movie where there's a significant twist that isn't in the third act. Mm -hmm. So you look at something like Terminator Genesis, where I know we've we've all tried to forget Terminator Genesis, but (laughs) it's not even the worst movie ever. It's just not good. Uh, But uh, Terminator Genesis begins very much like a remake of Terminator, but more from Kyle Reese's perspective. We see him in the future. And then some weird things about the timeline. Terminators yeah. are in the wrong years. Well, what happens is he goes back in time and it's following exactly what we remember from the original Terminator right down to the same shoes that he stole. Mm-hmm. Uh, except this time, instead of finding like an unsuspecting Sarah Connor as a waitress like about to be attacked by a Terminator having no idea what's going on, Sarah Connor and her pet Terminator show up and say, Kyle Reese, we've been waiting for you! Get in the truck if you want to live! She, she's, uh, she's already uh, Linda Hamilton from Terminator 2. Now, if you're reading this... During the events of the first Terminator. Now, if you're reading the script cold, like this is just submitted to you, Mm. that probably reads like a fun twist. Mm. However, in a movie, you you can't... You have to reveal that in the marketing. Mm. Because otherwise people are just going to think it's a remake of Terminator, and why would we go to that? So you have to keep... And there's tons of other twists, and most of them are in the first half of the movie, and you can't pretend you don't have a movie. So you have to reveal these twists, and then the audience is just sitting there waiting for the movie to catch up to what we already know. And in the case of something like Terminator Genesis or the movie Red Eyes, another good example here, it takes a really long time. So with something like uh, Antebellum, it's kind of like that. There, There is definitely some revelations. They do happen later in the film, but the the whole movie hinges upon figuring out how to unlock this puzzle box. And it's not like a a J.J. Abrams thing where there is no answer. There is, but you can't actually explain what's happening in it in like a plot synopsis without kind of lying. Yeah, well, uh, we'll say this, that uh, the way the way it's presented us, there are, uh, we're we're sort of following two timelines. Mm -hmm. Because the film opens in uh, Antebellum South on a plantation, and uh, we're seeing it from the perspective of the slaves, and 
it's all shot and scored like a horror movie. Just mm-hmm. every every horrendous thing yeah. that happened during slavery was, Not, is depicted with all all of the, the weight and horror that it warrants. None of the BS romanticism of Jezebel or Gone with the Wind. Yeah, this is all just, just like no, seriously. This, this is de- all, death and abuse and horror. That's and, all uh, it was. And it's a really curious ultra confederate uh plantation because it's run by the confederate army which is a little unusual as well yeah. well it's, they say it's in the civil war it's and you can the, hear yeah, the gunfire in the background mm-hmm. like the, the war is coming closer mm-hmm. and uh but yeah it treats and the and janelle monet plays uh one of the slaves and she is the protagonist of the story and she has at the beginning of the of the movie um engineered an escape attempt that did not go well mm-hmm. and some of the people who went with her do die really, really horribly. And then more horrible things happen. And then more horrible things happen because again, they're treating the America's history of slavery. Like mm. it would be treated in a horror movie because that's a very valid way actually to yeah, treat it. Yeah, if you yeah. ask me like that's just, I mean, it's, there's it's, nothing not horrifying about it. it so. It's really, I don't want to say sensationalized, but yeah, it feels like a horror movie. Yeah. So it's really kind of uh, melodramatic. And, um, this is then intercut with Janelle Monet in the modern day, in mm-hmm. modern day Louisiana, and she is a, a PhD sociologist mm-hmm. who is on a book tour, uh, talking very much about things uh, that are very au courant, uh, about uh, uh, very much part of the, the current political conversation about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's part of Black Lives Matter and part of uh, the the race for equality that is now centuries behind. Uh, And, and so she's giving all all of these lectures about her new book, which is about this very topic. And Mm -hmm. we get to see her have conversations with people where they uh, like some people who are like throwing racist shade in her direction and really condescending to her. And she has to be very strong and you just kind of suck up all of this bullshit Mm -hmm. that she's clearly grown up around and is now trying to undo with her writing. Yeah, uh, and um, mostly represented by Jenna Malone, who is can do anything. She's really wonderful. Yeah, she's a she's uh, a she, super she's, villain. She's yeah. a villainess in yeah. this movie, uh, yeah. and and she's also in both timelines as well. These two timelines uh, will eventually intertwine in a way that we cannot uh, really reveal without yeah. giving too much away. Is it time uh, travel? Yeah. Is it a multi generational yeah, thing? Is, is it this what kind is, of yeah. time is out of joint? Is this all symbolic? Is this literal? Yeah. What are we watching? Yeah, uh, we know, but we're not going to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think if we had been given all of the information about this movie's twisty structure up front. Mm-hmm. It would have let us more aggressively contend with the ideas that it's trying to give us. See, that's the problem with it. By by focusing so much on the plot mm-hmm. in Antebellum, by so focusing so much on what is happening, they're robbing the the characters and the the film even themselves, the filmmakers and the audience of the opportunity to really explore why and mm-hmm. what it means and why it is relevant. Yeah. And that is a damn shame because although the very in-your-face attitude that Antebellum has about contemporary issues, issues with America's history, and of course the absolute horrors of slavery in a wide variety of forms, many of which will be absolutely triggering, is a violent, scary movie. Yeah. And I think it's fair to call it, I, I will say this, although I take issue with the way the film is handled, it is, as a horror movie, scary. I'm not going to lie. 
But it's also a missed opportunity, though. And I think that's the problem. I I think it's easy to scare someone with violence, but I think when you raise such salient issues, issues that we are still wrestling with in certain parts of this country mm. um in terms of the um uh what do you what do you call it the uh legacy legacy of the confederacy, yeah. legacy yeah. of the confederacy the legacy of the antebellum mm. south uh when you consider just how alive so many of those arguments and those attitudes attitudes still, and, yeah. yeah and people still want to make apologies for it or still want to make excuses for it you realize that a movie that has as a horror movie has the freedom to be incredibly confrontational Kind of sidestepping that and only really focusing on the violence is, well, on one hand, okay, good. You can actually approach the violence as horrifically as it was. Fine. But in service of what? And here it's not in service of intelligent conversation about it. It's mostly in service of just a plot. And the plot is actually, if you put this in order, Mm. it would be so direct that the movie would kind of be a little stultifying. It's just not a lot going on in it other than a particular straightforward through line of events. And that's when you realize that kind of the only reason I can see why they decided to jumble it up and make it a big series of reveals is because that makes an otherwise straightforward concept more complicated and yeah. therefore feel well, more like a movie you know well, it, it what it it does something even worse than that in in giving giving it as sort of a series of reveals and reveling in shock and horror mm. rather than actually you know starting with uh you know its thesis the film is kind of cheapening the conversation it's trying to have mm. uh it's actually really doing something really kind of irresponsible at the end of the day. It becomes a little bit vile about the way it's trying to eschew these attitudes that uh, by the end of the film, you kind of realize what it's getting at and what it's about. And it's not, I I don't even necessarily disagree with all of its premise, but it's not complicated. uh, Well, it's, it's not complicated, but you know, Give us that idea right at the start. Yeah, let's 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 deal let's with it. let's let's face it, you know, head on and deal with this idea and have and we as an audience can live with it for the whole film. Yeah. Rather than waiting to the end of the movie and kind of having it all put together for us. Yeah. It's trying to distract us with really sloppy, completely nonsensical plotting and twistiness. Yeah. When and like trying to make us think that it might be one thing when it's something else. Is there something supernatural going on or not? Yeah. Uh, all of those are serve as distractions to something that's kind of sloppily told to begin with. Yeah. The dialogue in this movie sucks. The screenplay is not well written. <laughs> uh, I will say one exception to that. Everything Gabrielle Sidibe says. Uh, well, and that's because it's Gabrielle Sidibe, and yeah, she actually so brings some life to this. I think Janelle Monae is playing such a thuddingly dull character mm. uh, that, I, I that she and she's that not really she's... bringing a lot to it. I, I'm hesitant that to I'm say waiting that be... for some actual humanity or life or vivacity to come from her. Here's here's my issue with that, and here's why I I, I hesitate to make that same distinction. Mm. Um, first off, if you're wondering, Gabrielle Sidibe plays uh, one of Janelle Monae's friends in the part of the film that takes place in modern like, day sections, in modern day yeah. society. Um, they bo- they're both, I think, authors. Gabrielle Sidibe, I think, does like relationship advice stuff, and she is just incredible. And all of their scenes together are really great. Um, but um, I think the issue, and, and the reason why I'm, I'm hesitating to say that Jill Monet isn't that interesting a character, is mm. because 
I don't think it's because her character isn't interesting. I think it's because she's being forced to race through the plot so quickly that we don't get to see... It's so hard to describe this without explaining what yeah, happens I in the know. movie. It's, it's, we don't it's get really to see the, We don't get to see the key transitions between yeah. who she was before the events of the mm-hmm. Antebellum oh. South part. We don't get to see who she was like before the events of the present. They're basically just... Uh, 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 guiding her from one plot point to the next, and it's up to Janelle Monet, hmm. basically, to do the heavy lifting in terms of adding character to that. And this is another reason why I think the structure kind of fails the film. It's because with a bit more screen time, with a bit more opportunity hmm. to live in those situations and allow the audience in on it, so that instead of just making us wonder what's going on, we just we get to know not only what's going on, but why and how people feel about that and how it is all connected Mm -hmm. it's doing her a disservice i actually think she's good in this but the part is so underwritten that and by design that it's impossible for her to shine Mm -hmm. so i'm not entirely with you on that but i do see your point yeah um i i have two well no i I had two but then we brought up gabrielle sidibe just (laughs) there are things in this movie that i like i think it's very Mm -hmm. well photographed um i think there are some sequences in it that are very, very strong, especially towards the end when it all finally comes together. Um, but what I'm really fascinated with is not so much Antebellum as a movie, uh, but Antebellum as part of a wave, I think, of horror mm-hmm. that we're seeing slowly start to, to crest. Yeah, of, which, like, um, yeah. and, and we'll address when we get to Spiral as well, because it's yeah. addressing something very similar. Yeah, we we are seeing increasingly horror movies that are not only dealing with resonant themes, and horror has been doing that since literally mm-hmm. the dawn of horror, but like really contemporary themes and trying to wrestle with where we are currently as a country mm-hmm. and where we are currently as a culture and as, as a human race and how divided we are. We've always been divided, but how uniquely divided we are at this moment in time. And I've seen movies handle that really well, like Jordan Peele's Get Out. Mm-hmm. I've seen movies handle that with very mixed success, like The Hunt, which I think is, in, in some respects, a pleasing exploitation film and in other respects, you know, irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a film like Antebellum, which I think is very well intentioned, but is just they they wrote a check they couldn't cash. Yeah, yeah. and They're... it's a shame because there's clearly the material here and the concept here and a cast here that had absolutely the ability to address these issues in a more interesting way while still being an effective horror movie. Yeah, they they. It needs a lot more thought. It needs a lot more maturity. Yeah. It needs to be willing to actually have a conversation yeah. rather than shying away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hated this movie. Wow. I thought it was... Uh, I, I didn't think it was, you know, scary. I thought it was exploitative. Well... I thought it was... You can be both. Uh, <laughs> I, I suppose Exploitation so. can be scary. Exploitation cinema, generally speaking, like as a genre, sure... When you're using imagery of slavery for cheap scares in a bad horror movie, that comes across as a little tasteless. It's so tricky, though, because obviously slavery in its in its basic concept and mm. certainly in its actual implementation is fundamentally mm. terrifying. So, I don't know, maybe it's harder for me to read this as exploitation simply because... 
Mm. It's hard to deny certain realities, and therefore no. I take it more seriously. No, this this is a, a cheap horror movie that is using slavery as a bauble to attract the eye of somebody who might be looking into it when really there's not a lot on its mind mm. other than trying to... Uh, write a twisty screenplay and mm. I, I think it's it has some irresponsible elements that have me kind of bristling at it well I do want to say this before we move on mm. uh, to address the elephant in the room you and I are both white men yes uh, and as a result we may be connecting with this material differently mm. than others and we would very much love to hear uh, if anyone else has a, a very different take mm. on Antebellum please email us we would love to maybe hear from you and maybe uh, read your emails on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail uh, that email address, we'll give it to you at the end of the podcast as well as letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Um, I've mostly seen negative reviews of this film, but I would mm-hmm. be very interested to see if there's a perspective on this that we are dramatically missing. And of course, we are always open to hearing different interpretations of uh, various films. Someone uh, uh, recently got to me on Twitter about how the ending of a movie that I recently criticized for having an ending that didn't feel like it connected, mm. uh, tw- uh, Netflix film called Hashtag Alive, um, they gave me their perspective on how that ending connected with the rest of the film, and I thought about it, and you know what? I like that movie more now. Okay. So I'm very, very open to hearing about different perspectives. And I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to spoil that movie, but suffice it to say, a movie I really, really liked, I like even more now. Mm. Anyway, uh, let's move on, and let's talk about... What do you, what do you, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I guess the <laughs> next biggest talk, one is the devil all the time. Let's talk about the, the devil all the time. All oh, the time, God. the all, devil. All the time in this movie. So, <sighs> uh, so uh, this is a s- southern gothic uh, oh, yeah. kind, kind of a movie. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, two and a half hours long, and it's about many generations of really horrible serial killers. Because everybody in this movie is a serial killer. It's like that TV show <laughs> Hannibal. He's a serial killer in every other house. Um, <laughs> that, that is that is one of the problems with Hannibal. Is that like, like you realize? Oh, that- oh, you're a serial killer too. What's your gimmick? Oh, I turn them into violins. Really? That's weird. <laughs> And, 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 and also eventually have, pulled away from and that. And also we have psychic powers ridiculous. so we can kind of recognize serial killers from across the room. No, also they're he's all rich. just that smart. Also, they're just all like insufferable esthetes who have like these really complicated hobbies. Can't can you, you just that's murder like, somebody? What happened to just good old murdering somebody? Why do you have to turn him into a cello? I, I don't know. I think at that point you're taking like too literal and a, a, a look at Hannibal when you really should be looking at it more like, why are all of Batman's villains wearing colorful outfits? Have you ever tried <laughs> jeans and a shirt, the Riddler? Like... This is why we're here. Hannibal's a goofy show. It, kind, it sometimes is, and I love it to pieces. <laughs> but let's move on. Mm. The Devil of the Time is the latest film from Antonio Campos, who uh, previously directed, amongst other things, uh, one of my favorite films of the last decade, a film called Christine, mm. which I thought was uh, a very thoughtful and uh, very empa- uh, empathetic, empathic, 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 yeah. uh, empathic film about. Uh, mental illness and depression and suicidal ideation and a lot of other really important things. And it's absolutely fucking brilliant. So I'm a, I'm a fan. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this is a Southern Gothic film and it is a sprawling intergenerational narrative that is like Antebellum, kind of hard to describe. Unlike Antebellum, not really full of spoilers. Um, it all basically starts with a really horrifying incident uh, that a man uncovers in World War II. Yeah, where he sees someone who has been brutalized in a very distinct way, and he takes that imagery, that pain, with him back from the war, 
And this is, that, this is, this is uh, Officer Pennywise. Officer, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, yeah. who played Pennywise mm-hmm. in the It movies. Uh, he, very good actor, I feel. Uh, he uh, takes that horror back with him from World War II, and that creates a sort of ripple effect. This one act of evil, in unexpected ways, creates an entire like network connected by sin and vice mm-hmm. and exploitation and murder everything from where he chooses to sit at a diner to like who he gives a gift to it all ends up sort of cascading in unexpected ways and then caving back in on each other and creating this gigantic sprawling mm. ensemble narrative over the course of about 20 years where everything horrible that could happen mm. does happen yeah um and, it, and we're, talk, we're talking violence, murder, yeah, uh, corruption, uh, uh, theft. Nude, we're talking yeah, nude, all, nudie photographs. Uh, just uh, all, every scandal you can think of. Every every mm. mag- every work of evil, basically, yeah, you can imagine, yeah, because yeah. it's about the devil. Yes, it, and how the devil is essentially something that's leaking in through a lot of religious iconography. Yes, a lot of the a lot of the evil, not all of it, but a lot of the evil is leaking in through. Uh, Christian symbolism and and uh, clergymen in particular, mm-hmm. but not exclusively, because there's also just some ancillary serial killers as well. <laughs> um, yeah, it's about uh, yeah, Bill Skarsgård's character ends up kind of leaving a mark on his son, who grows up to be Spider-Man, and Tom, uh, Holland. Tom Holland. There's so, a lot of Spider-Man out there. We yeah. do need to clarify. Sorry. <laughs> could be, could be Andrew Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> Probably That's... isn't Tobey Maguire. <laughs> and, and uh, we learn the story of uh, sort of the evil of the old uh, pre old clergyman in his town, who's played by Dudley Dursley. Mm. Uh, <laughs> he's actually a really good actor. I'm really enjoying he's a really every- terrific actor. He's actually. amazing yeah, in this um, movie. I I am seriously impressed by what an incredible actor uh, Dud- Dudley Dursley. Dudley Dursley. Wait, wait, seriously, what is that guy's name? Let's not insult him. Let's actually see no, his actually, name. I'm trying to look him up. Uh, his name is not Riley Keogh, not Sebastian uh, Stan, not Haley Bennett. No, Harry, Melling. Harry Melling. Harry, Harry Melling is a really Harry good Melling actor. is a wonderful actor. He's gotten good. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and uh, Robert Pattinson plays the other evil clergyman who ends up uh, doing some other really horrible and manipulative things to the young women in his his town. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everything is just a litany of horrors of things people are doing to one another, yeah. and the film is narrated by the author of the book this is based on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's reading his own text, kind of. It almost feels like he's there to give us a cheat sheet. Like, and, and in this scene, Tom Holland is feeling very sad. And uh, mm-hmm. well, giving you a bit of an insight into yeah. the thoughts of the characters. Yeah. As things go along, you think that he's sort of narrowing in on a particular kind of uh, quantifiable uh, human evil, as it is typically expressed through religious hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. But it has so much in it. It's so long. Yeah, and it covers it's, so it's much. Huge. It's like two and a half hours long. Yeah. And it has so many characters and so many celebrity cameos <laughs> that you beget you, A, you're distracted. So you're not really focusing on the themes for a long time. You're focusing on like fun little scenes. And then so many other forms of evil are leaking in from the sides that you realize that maybe the point is just that the world is a miasma of shit. 
Well, and and there's not a that's... lot to be done about it. Well, Unt- that's uh, well, the perspective. And, but, uh, until we get to the end, and you realize that even though every single character is marked by evil and has the potential to do evil. It's also kind of a self-correcting system after a while. Yeah. W- and the right people will eventually die. Yeah, eventually, <laughs> eventually what happens is there's so much evil and corruption in the world that the evil people and the evil that men do and, mm. and often do unto women, there aren't as many evil women in this narrative, but there's mm. at least one or two. And, uh, and very much, it is also very, very much about rampant misogyny and oh, yeah, the exploitation of women of it, through yeah. religious iconography um but um yeah you're right it's it's mm. all about how eventually if you have this much evil it all kind of piles on top of each other it will eat itself mm. and there will be none of them left yeah i'm reminded of in a very weird way and this is going to be one of my wise bibs comparing these two movies situation <laughs> i'm thinking of the albert pune movie mean guns I haven't seen Mean Guns. Okay, Mean Guns is probably Albert Pune's best movie other than The Sword and the Sorcerer. If you've never heard the name Albert Pune, I don't blame you. He's well, well, not, a, generally speaking, a good filmmaker. He's, he's quite a bad filmmaker, but quite prolific, and he yeah. made a lot of kind, weirdly notable films. Yeah, he did like one of the Cyborg movies, and he did this movie called Sword and the Sorcerer, which is a very pulpy and violent and... And sensual, like, Conan knockoff. He directed uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier as well. No, he directed Captain America in 1990 starring J.D. Salinger's son. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah, that one. uh, Which is not good. Uh, But one of his better movies that he ever did was a film called Mean Gun starring Christopher Lambert and, I think, Ice-T. And it's basically, here's the plot, and it's pulpy and it's fun. Uh, A criminal organization realizes that, dang it, we have too many hitmen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring them all into one prison that is, like, not in service yet. It's going to go into, like, operation next week. Nobody is there right now. And we're going to just put them all into, like, the common area. And we're going to dump giant crates full of, like, guns and bullets and baseball bats and say, we can keep two of you. (laughs) And that's the movie. Everyone just running around killing each other. It's fun. And it's got a, it's got so an it's entire, pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah. It's got an entirely mambo soundtrack. That's kind of bizarre. That, it's that's, kind of, oh, that's so nineties. It's so nineties. It? It's fun though. Yeah. It works. Christopher Lambert is really good in it. Um, and uh, anyway, it's just one of those things where look, you're all evil. We've got too many evils. We can handle a couple of you, but like this has gotten ridiculous. So seriously, just sort it all out. And that's kind of the devil all the time. It's just basically about how. You know, evil cannot really thrive with like when it is the only thing that exists. When you have the mm. devil all the time, <laughs> even the devil can't succeed because right. that's just the nature of evil. It's it's destructive. Mm. Um, and on that level, I kind of like this movie. I mm. kind of appreciate how it is sprawling, but it is always interconnected by theme, by uh, generational conflict, by the the reach of religion by the corruption of uh, the police and how it's basically looking at it's a cynical view no denying it mm-hmm. but i think it is so uh focused and how unfocused it is <laughs> and okay. how like and how like the fact that it is unfocused but it all still comes together and it all feels like a very sure hand has made this and it's beautifully photographed the performances are mostly very good 
Um, Pattinson especially. Pattinson's yeah, great. He's, he's, Harry he's, Melling is great. Mm-hmm. Tom Holland is pretty good. I, he's, I think he's, okay. he's, I th- yeah. he's not the strongest in the cast, but I think he, he comes across fine. Um, I, Riley Keough, I, mm-hmm. I, whose name I think I'm pronouncing right, um, is increasingly, as far as I'm concerned, one of the more interesting actors out there right now. Yeah, have, I don't have, like everything she's in, but she's always amazing in everything she's in. Have you seen American Honey yet? Not yet. Oh, I hear that one's good. Yeah, she, 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 That's just a great movie in general. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, Jason Clark is good in this. He's another one of those actors who's good in everything, but often finds himself in bad movies. So mm-hmm. it's nice to see him in a good one. Um, yeah, it's is it a mess? Yes. Is it a mess by design? Yes. Does that make it a good mess? Not necessarily. Do I still like it? Yes, actually. Yeah, I still recommend this very dour movie, even though there's definitely some trigger warning stuff in here. This is a very rough and brutal movie. There's yeah. one image in particular that is just... Whoa! <laughs> just real gross and repugnant. I'm not going to lie. No, it just, serves a just, function. Just one. There's well, several. The one uh, in particular, like about a third of the way through, when you realize mm-hmm. what Dad's been doing. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. without giving away too much. Like <laughs> what, that's what what Daddy is doing. Yeah. yeah. Sing do a diddy. Um. But when you realize, like, when they they show something that they've been like hinting at for a while, and it's absolutely horrifying mm. um that's gonna turn a lot of people off i guarantee it so maybe look into if you have like a lot of sensitivities uh look into the content of the movie it's, before you jump in but if you're up it, for yeah. it i think you'll get something interesting it, out it's of this. it's very bleak and it's and, uh, you know me i love a bleak film i, 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 I give a positive review to that film the painted bird and that was e- even bleaker than this one but i feel like the bleakness was the point in something like The Painted Bird, whereas mm. this one is getting at something a little bit more complex, and you might be distracted by the bleakness. I feel like that there's a way to play with extreme imagery that mm. can uh, get you engaged, and there's a way to play with it that will only repel you. Interesting. And I feel like this is... Riding the line. I'll riding the line a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Like, it doesn't. Pu- it definitely doesn't push too far. But some, it's all, some it's might, all... I've heard some people argue that it does. Okay, like well, the one I was referencing. Uh, but um, but fair enough. Hmm. I think that's totally fair. This is not Antonio Campos' best film. But, like, it's very sure-handed. It is very... It, the cinematography is incredible. There's a lot of really impressive stuff here. But, yeah, you're right. It is bleak. <laughs> and it might not be the thing you're looking for right yeah, now. Yeah. And I do not blame you for that. That's fine. You can skip this if you want, but I think if this is does sound like something you're interested in, I do think you're going to get something out of it because there's a lot of good filmmaking in mm-hmm. here. Um, all right, let's talk about. Uh, why don't we talk about Spiral? You did tease right. it. Uh, Spiral is a new horror movie on Shutter. They're all horror movies on Shutter. Uh, <laughs> it's it's directed by not, not necessarily. There was some like grindhousey other stuff, like action movies, a few you know. uh, uh, here and there. But you know, they're 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 the horror network. And uh, Spiral yeah. is a new Canadian film it's directed by Curtis David Harder, and it is about a gay couple who move back to uh, one of their hometowns where uh, the main character is named Malik, and he previously encountered some pretty horrible homophobic hatred when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. Now he's moving back to his town, a little bit unsure with his new husband and their daughter. And in that Rosemary's Baby sort of way, the neighbors might be up to something. Uh Uh-oh. And uh, people are sneaking into his house and, like, graffitiing on the walls, but he's, like, painting over it really fast so his family doesn't see. So Mm. this is one of those things where you're not sure is it in his head, and he starts... And because of his past trauma, you begin to wonder whether or not... Like, how much of it he's imagining and how much of it is real. Right. Uh, Then, you know, at one point, there's this very dreamlike sequence where he sees hooded figures standing outside of his house, and you're not really sure what's going on. Right. Um... 
Well, that and sounds it's, creepy. It's yeah, it's unbelievably creepy. Uh, it takes place in 1995, oh, so um, okay. a lot of a lot of the characters are reacting with like novelty that there's a gay couple in town. Oh my, it, this is me and this is my husband. Oh, how wonderful to have. People like you here. Yeah. Uh, people are trying to trying to be really open minded about it, but like kind of demonstrably so because mm-hmm. maybe they're still getting used to the idea of living next to gay people. Yeah. Guess what? You live next to gay people, whether or not you know it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, but yeah, it's it's eventually you begin to see, and this is something I have to be a little bit ginger about. Uh, just like with antebellum, antebellum, mm. yeah, you don't want to give you, away you, that. Yeah, the you whole, begin to see yeah. that the the homophobia that the main character is experiencing might be part of a grander design. I think, and that's all I'm going to say. I, I think that's that's the idea behind yeah. this kind of whether it's like the Stepford Wives or whatever, where yeah. or the Wicker Man, where you go to a town. There's something dark about this town. Is it all in your head? Is it exactly what you think it is? Or is it something you couldn't have anticipated? Or, or, or is it something that's being constructed? And yeah. uh, and I feel like Spiral, way, way better than Antebellum, is confronting those ideas in a much more salient way. Okay. Uh, it, it's the, the, the pressure and hate that the character is feeling is part of a larger... Fabric. I, I, I gotta say so little about this. I, that's it's so part, frustrating, part, yeah, right? Part of a, yeah. lar- a larger fabric of hate that goes back to something very fundamental about this town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how it's not homophobia strictly speaking because uh, mm-hmm. they're part of it is they find uh, like old video cassettes in the attic, of course, and that's, you know, and you, they got a bagul problem. Oh, uh, no, it's a... Uh, <laughs> They, reference to Sinister, which is a very good horror movie. Sinister is a very good horror movie, but you know the, the Vincent D'Onofrio sequences are like <laughs> the most brazen forms of like exposition dumps that I've seen in any movie. It's like oh. I'm gonna call up, I'm gonna call up this expert. Okay, I have you on Skype, Vincent D'Onofrio. What's what's the name of my character? No, oh, no, no, don't say that. You're in, you're in character now. Oh, right. The only um, the only the only like more brazen exposition dump I can remember from a recent horror movie was in the movie Rings. Which was also oh. from Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio did it in that one, too. Uh, but yeah, they, they called him up. He's like, okay, I found these symbols around my house. Could you tell me what the what these things mean? And he doesn't give some sort of vague litany or an old story that might be connected. He says, oh, you got a bagul problem. He's not uh, that flip. He You're playing it up a little. He, he doesn't actually use that line of dialogue, but that's kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. It's like, oh, I know what that is. That's, would, that's would, a bagul. It would be like if you called up, like, Dan Aykroyd from Ghostbusters, and he was just like, oh, yeah, bagul problem. Yeah. Uh, let, me look it up. let me look it up in Space Catalog and uh, Tobin Spirit Guide. <laughs> I never showed Space Catalog. They only ever showed Soap and Spirit Guide in the show. It's the only one people remember. I always wanted to know what the space catalog was. What's in that? I assume it's a catalog, but like of your, what? Space. You order is space, it space stuff. Is it space or is it like Spate's catalog? Oh, like, Spate's catalog. I don't know. Like a guy named Spate wrote it. Like I'd, have, I'd, have to, I'd have to watch the DVD with the, the subtitles on. Yeah, it's never, it never um, occurred to me to actually check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, one of the plot points in Spiral is they find a, a video cassette, a mysterious video cassette in the attic, and yeah. they have to find a VCR. Though it's the '90s, so they have one. So they oh, they, okay. they, they, they pop it in. There's actually a really good. Uh, there's an episode of Cowboy Bebop where they mm. find something on video cassette, but they have to find like an old antique dealer to find like yeah, a VHS because it's like a hundred years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> it's pretty great. 
Uh, and and uh, because it's the '90s, like CD-ROMs play a big part in like nice. in, in like all of the tech stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they they find an old cassette and it has like clues as to what happened and like people who might have been previous victims, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it's kind of predictable because you've seen this kind of story before. Yeah. But because and it's on Shutter, so it's probably it's, yeah. not going to be all like laughter and roses at the end. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is this is a horror movie. There's a lot of actual horror stuff in it. Um, and you know it's nice and brief. It's like 89 minutes. Oh, good. Uh, so I love an efficient film. Oh, absolutely. That's this is one of the greater greater things about. Uh, a lack of blockbusters mm-hmm. is we're treated to the filmmakers who are just there to get the job done. Yeah. So the bulk of films we've been watching since uh, quarantine began have been around 90 minutes. Yeah. If you've been really Which been watching great. like a lot of the movies that have been released, like the, the occasional blockbuster film has been released on the video, but like most of them is the smaller stuff. And when you're totally immersed in that, you realize that a lot of the things that we talk about and complain about a lot in mainstream film are only in mainstream film. Like, right. movies aren't necessarily too long all the time. Not everything is a remake or a reboot. <laughs> there are a lot of original films out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, the story is predictable, but I think it engages with some social ideas uh, about hate and about homophobia and hate in general that uh, make the film, uh, b- bring it up a little bit, that ma- okay. make it uh, better than the films that it's kind of knocking off. Okay, so so you do recommend this? One. I do recommend it. Yeah, oh, that I sounds liked great. It. I liked it a lot. Okay, uh, so my uh, next film, which I saw, and you, I, yeah, didn't, I didn't see this. And I want to make sure I get some of the casting crew right. All right. Um, well, it is just not coming up, is it? Oh, All right, so alone, alive. alone, alone, alone. There's a new horror movie called Alone from John Hyams, who is the son of director Peter Hyams. Oh, okay. Uh, who directed everything from like Capricorn One to uh, Outland? Did 2010? Yeah, uh, he did The Relic. The Relic, uh, The Musketeer, which is not a good movie, but has amazing choreography in it, like fight choreography. Yeah. Like, wow. Um, so interesting, he's an interesting sort of jack-of-all-trades filmmaker who worked in a variety of different genres over the course of his career, and his son is very much doing the same thing, but he's mostly working in straight-to-video and and streaming stuff. He's probably best known for doing, like, the two later Universal Soldier sequels, which were surprisingly ambitious and well done. Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't a huge fan of the last one, but the second to last one was really strong. Um, so he's making the most out of very little is yeah. basically his raison d'etre. And, uh, this is a horror remake of a European horror film. I was trying to look it up, but my, the letter O on my keyboard is broken. Oh no. <laughs> so I can't, I, all I can look up is A L N E. So right. it's not, it's not really coming up on IMDb. Um, uh, but it is a horror movie and it is an incredibly efficient horror movie. It is very lean. Okay. Okay. Woman moves. She's first seen. She is packing up like her U-Haul uh-huh. and she is moving and she is driving through what looks like the Pacific Northwest, like a lot of, a lot of big trees, foresty cloudy glades, skies, cloudy yeah, skies, okay. etc. Um, and uh, along the way, she runs into, well, not literally, but she, she runs afoul of another car on the road. Uh, that car like refuses to let her pass, and then she finally overtakes it very aggressively. Mm-hmm. And then, wouldn't you know it, at the next gas station, the guy stops, 
and oh, he starts I, being I love stories like this. Yeah, <laughs> he starts being like, like we can relate to that sort of thing. This is this is it starts off very plausible and um he starts saying things like, Hey, sorry, I didn't see you on the phone there, but he's being very pushy and like intimidating without actually saying anything threatening, but we understand why she is on high alert. And then she keeps running into him. Hmm. She keeps running into him. And he keeps saying and doing more suspicious things. And like trying to like when his got a flat or no, he runs out of gas and he's just like, Hey, can I, can you drive me to the next town? And she's like, no, <laughs> I can go. I can tell the next gas station to come get you if you want. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. I can just come in your car. No. And eventually she is kidnapped and that's the plot of the movie. All right. Um, and of course there is an escape attempt and it's, that's it. There aren't a lot of extra added layers to this. It's mm, just it's a survival story. It's a survival story, and it is it is stripped to the bone, flayed, if you will, and trying to just. I, I admire that doesn't always work, but I admire when a filmmaker tries to take a genre that is so simple and so kind of pure. Mm. That it has been done so many times over the years that people feel the need to pile on layers of cleverness in order to get away with it again. Yeah. You know, like we can't just do like another slasher movie about a guy who escapes from a mental institution and kills a bunch of people. No, we have to add more gimmicks. We have to now do it in this location. We have to add, you know, a twist Mm. where he's an alien or something like we just have to like somehow stand out. And every once in a while it is worth it. To just go back to the bare bones premise and just remind people of why it works. Mm. And I think that is a noble endeavor. I don't always think it works. And I think Alone is very much a mixed bag. Because Mm. although it is well photographed, efficiently told, the cast is very, very good. um, It just... It falls falls victim to its own simplicity. Where it's actually so... Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, efficient. It's so efficient that it doesn't necessarily let the characters breathe or feel alive. Okay. And I think the protagonist, who is played by an actor I can't look up because the O button on my computer is broken. Would you please look this up? <laughs> sure. I thought you were doing that. You picked up your phone. I thought you were going to help me out sorry, here. Sorry, I'm getting pre- prepping my own movies. Here. All right, just go to IMDb real fast and look at this movie alone, please. This is driving me up the wall. I want to at least give her credit because I think she's doing everything she can mm. with a character who's a little underwritten. And at first you think maybe there's going to be a twist like, oh, maybe mm. the hunter will become the hunted. Her, no, her name is her name is Jules Wilcox. Yeah, Jules Wilcox uh, carries this film as ably as she can while not really being given much of a character to work with. She's kind of like standing in for the every person, which Sounds fine until you remember that specificity is more universal than vagueness. Yeah. Um, specificity makes someone feel real. And you know who else is real? We are. <laughs> vagueness makes someone feel generic and sort of like a cipher. And you know who isn't a cipher? Actual human beings. It's a trap. Mm. And that's a shame because so much of the movie is just her just running and being scared. And she does the very best she can with it. And ultimately... 
it boils down to you know a big run for your life chase kind of thing. People make good decisions, people make bad decisions. I actually really like the way that the ending sort of works out mm. without giving anything away. I think the, I think I think the last like big decision that she makes is really clever, and I don't know if I would have thought of that. So good mm. for her. Does she win the ninety thousand donuts? You're describing the movie Breakdown from 1997, and, <laughs> and the, that that 90,000 was a, a reference to that movie. Uh, Breakdown is a very, 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 very good version of this movie. Okay. Um, Alone is an okay thriller, and if yeah, you yeah. find yourself watching Alone, you might get caught up in it. Mm. Uh, it's a it's an it's an ugly movie. It's a it's a scary movie. It's trying to be frightening. It's trying to uh, explore the anxieties that we have over, you know, strangers and in particular strange men, uh, if you're a woman and on some level that works, but it just ultimately just kind of caves in and becomes something that is so efficient. It kind of loses sight of not just like who the characters are, but really why we should care about them. I think track of why it's scary i think the mm. opening half is or the third really mm. is so strong that it sets us up for something that's so you think will feel more smart and universal in a good way mm. um that will feel something like something we can all kind of relate to as it pertains to our anxieties and then it just kind of becomes a movie oh, and that's man, a shame that's, that's it, I, I, it's not it's just not interesting enough to really have interesting critiques about it I guess is my point yeah. uh, but it is not terrible and if you like survival thrillers you might get something out of it yeah. uh, tell me about the last new release on our list Wireless Wireless is the latest film on Quibi yay yay <laughs> Quibi <laughs> Quibi, which who is which is rapidly going the way of Movie Pass and HD DVD and other other dead film ephemera, the uh, worst possible timing for Quibi to come out. The like, whole idea with Quibi was for you to watch it essentially on your commute if you're on a bus or if you're uh, you know you're standing in line. You're standing in line. You only have yeah, time for a seven minute thing, so you can watch seven minutes on Quibi on your phone because you're out in the world. And then of course, out in the world got shut down right at the worst possible time for Quibi. Yeah, like a month before Quibi launched. And Quibi was was like really they've poured a lot of money like into a like billion a billion dollars content. into this yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like, huge. It's, it's like I think they lost like 1.75 billion dollars uh, in in That took UPN like, three, like 5 years. Yeah, like 3 months. It's just <laughs> um I am a loyal subscriber to Quibi, and I'm I'm gonna stay stay on the sinking ship until it's gone. Someone uh, asked us on Twitter, like, "Hey, are you guys gonna talk about who won the Emmys?" And you said, "No, we're only interested in failure. <laughs> failure is way more interesting than who wins an Emmy." Yeah. Although, seriously, congratulations to Shit's Creek. That is a good show. I've, okay, I haven't, it is. I haven't seen Shit's Creek, it's and, a good show. and you know what? Probably never gonna watch it. So it's, it's Catherine yeah, O'Hara and Eugene think, Levy being funny. I, I like those people, and I'm, I'm glad saying. they're they're successful and getting money. Yeah. But I'm not going to watch their work on that show just because it's not something that's ever going to be in my field of vision. Okay. Uh, Quibi, however, <laughs> commands my attention, demands that I pay attention because it is careening into a wall so hard. <laughs> because I love that. Uh, I, I, you know, everybody says, "Oh, it's misguided. It's a bad idea." It's actually not that bad an idea when you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's somebody trying to capture your attention uh, in the way YouTube has, but with A content. Yeah. And if you can choose between YouTube and A content, the uh, pres- the assumption is you would choose, uh, at least occasionally, something with big stars and like mm-hmm. an actual production value. Yeah. Um, 
this uh, and of course the history of cinema is you know rife with serialized entertainment back in yeah, the 19 you know shorts were very very mm-hmm. common throughout the first half of film history and as were serialized stories like flash gordon yeah, yeah. cody etc 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 et um and all of uh, t- to catch you up quibi is a, a portmanteau of quick bite quick by oh i just quibi. got that yeah and because oh. it's just a little quick bite uh, i get it your now. way and they, I thought it was just some made-up word. They do have that like, shows like everything now. They do have call-in shows and news shows and things that are actually appropriate for that shortened format. But they also do essentially feature films that have been cut up into like seven to ten minute chapters. Okay. And, and I've watched several of them now. And you've I've reviewed, reviewed several. Reviewed a couple of them on the yeah. show. Uh, the latest one is called Wireless. It stars. Uh, it's essentially a one-man show from Ty Sheridan oh. uh, from Killing of a Sacred Deer, and he was Cyclops in some of the X Men movies. Yeah. Uh, he play, yeah, he's a very good actor. He's actually very intense, very natural, and he plays a teenager in Colorado who, on New Year's Eve, uh, who is has taken his uh, recently dead father's car out to a party, and he's essentially uh, just on the phone. It's like Locke, where we're with just him for the bulk of the film. Uh, he's been pulled over by a cop. He manages to get his way out of the ticket, but he knows that he doesn't have his license with him and he's in big, big trouble. And a lot of it is him trying to organize, like trick his mom who on the phone is played by Andy McDowell oh. uh, and his, his drunken teenage friends who are already at a party, like 60 miles up the road, uh, trying to sort of cut through their drunkenness to get him uh, out of a tough bind because as it turns out, he has driven off the road. And he's stuck. He's trying to cover up his the fact that he took the car and the fact that he's uh, kind of stuck there. And it's all very, very intense. The fun thing about Wireless is that it's a gimmick film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quibi, uh, a lot of the films are meant where, you're, uh, where you can watch it holding your phone upright like you would just an ordinary video. Uh-huh. Uh, but some of them are also shot in landscape. So you can turn it sideways and the, the image will flip and you can watch more of, I guess, more of the image. Uh-huh. I've been watching them upright just because that's kind of the, the rise on detriment of Quibi. Yeah, that's, a, that's the novelty, yeah. Now, some don't have that feature. Some you have to watch upright. Wireless, if you hold it in the landscape feature, you see Ty Sheridan in the car and you see, you know, and there's a lot, lot of edits and good photography all around him. If you turn it upright, you see whatever's on his phone at that moment. Oh, that's fun. No matter where you are in the film, you can switch back and forth as much as you like. Oh my god, I actually kind of love that. And and so if like if you, you hear a phone call, you can Ooh. turn you can turn the phone upright and you can see who's calling That's and clever. like the time they called. Does, it, does his it, battery level, which is actually significant to the plot. Uh-huh. Uh, well, and, yeah, I was looking this up the episode <coughs> because uh uh hmm. you know, the first few letters in Ty Sheridan aren't the letters O, I and U, so I can hmm. look it up. And it, like <laughs> autofills on my computer. Uh but uh, like the episode titles are the percentage he has left on his phone. Yeah. So it's hundred percent, 90%, 80%. There's a point where the battery runs out. So if you turn your phone off, right, it's just black. You can still hear oh, the feature, but there's nothing on the phone. That uh, is cute. It's yeah. Is it? No, let me ask something. As much as I love that idea for a gimmick, there's a big difference between having a good idea for a gimmick and well, implementing it in a dramatically satisfying fashion. It is because it allows you to interact with the drama in a way uh, that lets you get more information uh, because okay. there, one of the plots, is he he's recently broken up with his girlfriend and he's on tinder and so he has to uh the conversations he's having with his mom over the phone and the conversations he have he's having on tinder are both significant to the plot so if you're watching the tinder conversation you can follow both okay 
And then, yeah, and then you turn back and you see Ty Sheridan's acting. You turn it back and you just see sort of see typing uh, via, very much like you would in a film like um, Sur- uh, not Searching, um, the John Cho film that, that was Searching. Searching, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that sounds like something Hitchcock would have loved. But again, my 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 question is. Is the story good, or is it, it just a good gimmick? No, it, it's it's a good gimmick, and it's a good thriller, and it actually does have a, like a good, char- like a lot of good character realizations throughout. Okay. So it's actually not just like you were describing with Alone, where it's just sort of this lean thriller. There's actually a lot going on with okay. it, and uh, you know, sort of the the character interactions are revealing more and more in little bits and bits about the Ty Sheridan character and how he's actually not that good a guy. And he actually has all of these problems that we didn't realize he had at the start of the movie. Okay. Um, that sounds cool. And that was very reminiscent of the, that movie Locke with Tom Hardy. Yeah. Uh, that sounds I, badass. I loved watching Wireless. I wow. was having a really great time. Like, flipping the phone back and forth is just fun. And But it, again, it's not just a sort of a distraction where you can kind of flip back and no, forth No, it's almost, it's almost making it into a video game in a way. It, in a, it's, it's, it, does, it adds an interactive element. Yeah, gamification. Yeah. It's like, a, what do they call it? They call it gamifying. Yeah, you um, gamify something, you know? Like, it's not making it a video game, but you take elements from a video game uh, yeah, and add I, them to something else. I uh, saw a film a couple of years ago. It was a, a spinoff of War Games. Called, oh yeah, it was, it was yeah, called, yeah. called like War Games Endgame, or, yeah, so yeah, some nondescript title. War Games yeah. colon subtitle. Hold on, that doesn't and, uh, have any of those vowels in it. I can't <laughs> and uh, that one was uh, you could. Sl- it was a con- like a Skype call. War Games and, the Dead Code. War War Games the Dead Code. Well, there was also sh- War Games Defcon One. So I don't know which one you're talking about. It was. It was. I th- no, it wasn't the Dead Code because that, okay. that was a f- like a legit feature film. Okay, hang on. Hold on. I'm. I'm. And it was available. Oh, it was available through like video game platforms too. It was never released okay. on like DVD, so it might count as a video game. War Games Def Con yeah, One. But you could click around. Yeah, War uh, Games Def. Def- no, that's a PlayStation game. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Hold on, I'm looking at it. There, there was a anyway. The War Games thing was you could click around on whoever was talking, and evidently, depending on who you were looking at, that would affect the outcome. I didn't bother to watch it several times. I just sort of. It actually took me a while to figure out that that was something you could do, that there was an interactive element, so I was just sort of letting it play out. It was called Hashtag War Games. (laughs) It was a six-episode thing. That's right. That was it. Hashtag War Games. That did it not very well. Okay. Uh, first of all, it was a dumb espionage plot that was really predictable and went to, like, these big dramatic places that it didn't earn. Yeah. Wireless is actually a pretty well-written piece. Ty Sheridan is a very good actor. And they know how to implement the tech hmm. into this. It actually is incredibly smooth. And if you're in a position where you can switch your phone back and forth, by all means, give it a shot because okay. it, it is just a it's just a thrill. I can't afford Quibi. Mm. May I borrow your phone? <laughs> <laughs> sure, because <laughs> that actually sounds really interesting, and I yeah. do at least want to watch an episode or two okay. and check it out. Yeah, so, so if, if you just want to try the gimmick, skip into the middle at some point where yeah. more stuff is going. Oh, on I want to get. I mean, the, yeah. how long are the episodes? Like ten minutes? Uh, yeah, seven to ten minutes. Yeah, I might as well just watch them. You know, unless, uh, yeah. unless you really need your phone. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, you, you're you're increasingly selling me on Quibi, yeah. and boy, is it too late. <laughs> you know what? You get two weeks for free, and it's only five bucks a month after that. You okay. may as well get on because you'll only get a few more months anyway. <laughs> I worry about this, like you know, like because they're talking about selling Quibi yeah, right now, that, and that, like that was a, a big headline just today. And you know what? I'm sure that like you listen, someone will probably get it for a song and have all this content and be mm-hmm. able to do something with it, and it might stick around for a while, but it could also just die. 
Yeah. And unlike a lot of other streaming services where, oh no, our streaming service died and we had a few original movies, we could sell them to Netflix or Hulu mm. or whatever, and they will at least exist somewhere. Where do you put that shit? Yeah, you can't put that on Netflix. It's designed you know? for telephones, and a, a lot of yeah. people are saying that was its big error that it's phones only and you can't get it on a TV. Like, well, but of course, if you put it on a TV, you can't have a fun little flip device like yeah. like a wireless. Yeah, you're making them. They're, if they're actually trying to make the most of the medium, like if you were mm. listen, people are watching shit on their phone. Let's make good shit for their phone. Mm. That's a good idea. Mm. I'm not gonna lie. All right. That was also a gimmick they employed in their uh, uh, Princess Bride home movie. Oh, yeah. They did a, a bunch of celebrities shot fil- just one scene or a couple lines of the Princess Bride in their homes. Yeah. And you could watch it uh, upright like they filmed it. And if you turned it sideways, the image would still be upright over on the side. But then there would be like, if you didn't recognize an actor, it would tell you who was playing it. And like, oh, okay. who, who originally originated the role etc those be like little, little trivia whatever yeah little yeah. bits of trivia on That's the side fun. so yeah they're they're employing quibi is done very well artistically Art, yeah in terms of the way they're implementing the tech and i think i've said this before quibi is just ahead of its time yeah uh, and it came out at a bad time a lot of people are saying it's this big foolish blunder it's a blunder i'm embracing and okay. i'm i'm happy to be on this sinking ship <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale. Again, if you're new. On the critically acclaimed scale, we review movies from C- to C+. The lowest the movie can get is C-, unless you're the movie Cats. (laughs) It was the one exception we made. Uh, C- is below average. Everything from we simply don't recommend it to the worst movie ever made. And then Cats got a D. But anyway, uh, C is average. Most movies are a C. There's some good, there's some bad, there's stuff to recommend them, there's stuff you might not be into. Average. C plus is above average. Everything from we recommend it to literally the best movie ever made gets a C plus. That's it. It's specifically designed so we won't get on movie posters. Let's review the movies based on that. Whitney, mm. wireless. How do you rate it? Wireless is a C plus. Yeah. Uh yeah. I think I think you should you should check it out uh, again. You can get Quibi two weeks for free if you want. If you really want to not pay for Quibi, nice. But it, I think it's it's a really fun experience and it's a good film. Quote, okay. Quote film besides. Great. Yeah. All right. Uh, Alone. Mm. Uh, Alone is a C. It's All right. kind of the definition of a C. It's not really even trying to be that much better than a C. Um, it's reasonably efficient you might get wrapped up in it you might also tune out after a while just because it's not doing anything particularly exciting after the first act which i'll admit is legit scary mm-hmm. so total c uh spiral uh spiral is a high c okay. uh, it's not revolutionary but it at least has some thoughts in its head and it's you know, decently scary and it has a good lead performance all right uh the devil all the time uh this is a movie that is is it's mixed but i think the good outweighs the bad so i'm gonna give this a low c plus okay i do recommend it i think the ensemble is strong enough i think the cinematography is beautiful i think the way that antonio campos like keeps it kind of like keeps all of these different threads loosely woven together and then tightens them up at the end is actually pretty impressive um it is very bleak it is very dour it is very violent it is definitely not for everyone but if you can get on its wavelength i think you'll get something out of it yeah uh i give it a c okay. uh, I, I agree with everything you said but i think uh it's it's so Just not that good yeah it's, it's so mixed it's actually not like it's good movie but it's not that great a movie uh, uh that just yeah, worked I, better for me than it did yeah, for you i can't can't 
sell it too heavily. All right, and Antebellum. Antebellum is uh, it's a, a resounding C minus. <laughs> it's just an aggressively unpleasant film. I did not like it at all. Uh, I'm also giving it a C minus. It's mm. not quite as aggressively a C minus mm. as Whitney does. I do think it's a big missed opportunity. Uh, there are definitely some moments in this film that work, but overall, it's it's not a well-executed plan. Like, mm. I see some genuine ambition here. I see some good ideas here. I see some good performances here. But overall, I see uh, an attempt to be playful with a structure undermining any ability this movie has to be all that it could be. Mm. So, yeah, it's a C-, minus, but I'm not as passionate about it as right. you are. Um, and those are the new releases. Uh, and now that brings us to the Critically Claimed Streaming Club, where, once again... We review movies that one or both of us had not seen before that are currently available on one streaming service or another. This week's films were classics on Peacock, which is a universal streaming service, which is free. Some of the content is hidden behind a paywall, but the majority of it is free with commercials. And I will say this, they got a pretty good selection. A pretty, yeah. It's a pretty yeah. solid um, streaming service, actually, especially considering mm-hmm. how much you can access for nothing. You just... Yeah, you just yeah. put in your email and you're sad. Like I do like good the, stuff here. The, the streaming wars are uh, during this very brief period while they're raging and all everybody's still standing, even Quibi. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we we now God have speed, this Quibi. Yeah, we, we now have this wonderful, uh, very brief window where a lot is available to us, yeah. uh, and this is actually really quite wonderful. These things are gonna, probably going to start crashing down around our feet eventually. Quibi yeah. might be the first high-profile failure. Yeah. Others might come after. I, I, Quibi's the failure of Quibi, which is mm. probably inevitable, but who knows? Maybe it'll pick up. Um, mm. The failure of Quibi probably won't mean anything to most of the other streaming services because Quibi was such a unique entity. Yeah. But if like a major studio's streaming service ends up being too much of a hassle to keep bothering with, that's when we're going to see some dominoes fall because. Okay. Right now, every studio is kind of tired of licensing all of their content out to other stuff and not making all the profit for themselves. So they're just putting it on their own streaming service and they get all of the profit. Now, this actually might be a legal issue for a lot of reasons. Um, A lot of people have it in their contracts that when the time comes to distribute uh, the movies or TV series that they create, uh, that the studio has a legal responsibility to try to get the best deal and the best deal might not necessarily be themselves. This has already led to a successful lawsuit from the makers of Bones. Mm -hmm. You can look that up. Uh, One could also argue that this is an example of vertical integration, which previously the Supreme Court ruled against. And this year, the Justice Department just decided they're not going to obey those laws anymore. Which is, ostensibly the idea is those laws were a bit antiquated and reflected means of distribution that we no longer have. However, someone's going to challenge it in court one of these days, and it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, but in any case, Peacock is a pretty good service right now. And like we just noticed that they had a lot of interesting classic films. And, uh, so, uh, we decided to put a bunch of those on a poll and, uh, we ended up not picking Cape Fear. So <laughs> Cape Fear came in second in that poll. And so we ended up doing last week, uh, a poll between all of the films in our various polls that came in second, really, really close. And Cape mm. Fear, uh, won that poll. So here we are, back at Peacock, welcome watching back. Cape Fear. Well, welcome back to Peacock. Uh, yeah, this Cape Fear came out in 1962. Mm-hmm. Uh, a it, resounding dud at the time. Like, it was not popular. Well, and I can see why, because this is a really 
sleazy movie. Uh-huh. Uh, this but, movie has a stink. And I don't mean that it stinks. No, what I mean is you, you, you can, can smell it. You can smell Robert Mitchum's armpits throughout this movie. This even movie, if he's not on screen. This movie smells like swamp bog, mm. cheap bourbon, and an entire carton of cigarettes. <laughs> Unfiltered. Like, it's just... Gross, I was, but it is trying to be. I, I was smelling like my my uh, high school like swimming pool gym ch- <laughs> changing room. You know, bad memories and horrible yeah. uh, kind of stinging fungal smells. Uh, it stars yeah Gregory Peck as uh, essentially Atticus Finch. Uh, uh, Atticus Finch, if he wasn't as morally upstanding oh, yeah. as he as he usually is, yeah, he plays a lawyer. Mm. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, uh, Robert Mitchum. Walks up to him, basically. Mm. And it turns out they have a past. Eight years previous. Yep. Gary Cooper caught Robert Good. Mitchum. You mean Gregory Peck. What did I say? You said Gary Cooper. <laughs> I always right. do that. Yeah. I always do that. They're, Gre- they're not Gre- even that similar. They're totally different ages. You know what? We all have those actors that, no matter how similar they are, they just sort of live in the same spot in our brains. You're right. One of these isn't going to screw that up on a mm. schmodown. It's going to cost me a match. Mm. Uh, but uh, but Gary comes, comes comes up to Gregory Peck in a parking lot. Goes up, and it, and, uh, and we find out that eight years previous, Gregory Peck was a key witness against Robert Mitchum in a sexual assault case. And Robert Mitchum spent eight years in jail for that. And he blames Gregory Peck for him going to jail. Now, Gregory Peck caught him in the midst of assaulting a woman. Yeah. That, as we learn a little bit later in the movie. And so he's he, he's guilty. It's not like there's Mitchum some... Mis- is guilty. Mitchum like, is guilty. Yeah, 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 there's yeah. No, It's not like there's some mistaken identity or he yeah. lied on the stand. He just caught a bad man doing a horrible thing and put him away in prison for eight years. Mitchum wants those eight years back. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of revenge where... Uh, the bad guy has studied just enough of the law to understand where the limits are of what he can get away with. Yeah. Here's how I can intimidate mm. you. Here's what I can say to you that sounds threatening but isn't legally actionable. Mm. Here's what you can do to me legally, and I will be prepared for that. And there is absolutely nothing you can do because I will have my lawyer present or mm. I know where the limits of my rights are. And there's not a thing you can do. I will be an intimidating threatening presence in your life maybe for the rest of your life i got nothing but time and 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 it's frustrating for the audience because you you know that gregory peck is in the right Mm -hmm. and it's and it's not something the audience can think their way out of like why doesn't gregory peck just do this well he tries everything yeah he has friends in the police department he says hey cops Play, represented by Martin Balsam. Yeah. Do me a favor, eh? Yeah. And then that's something that makes this kind of interesting because on some level, there's a sort of a, a home invasion simplicity to this, like the movie The Strangers, where mm. there's an unsuspecting couple, a bunch of people just break into their house and do horrible things to them. That's kind of what Robert Mitchum is doing, but he's doing the long game. But the difference is in The Strangers, those people did nothing whatsoever to... Warranted but even they, on a they moral were, level. They were strangers. They were the title. Yeah, yeah, but like even on like a moral level, on like a karmic level, they did nothing. Mm. Robert Mitchum comes in and he's vaguely threatening. To, I almost said Gary Cooper to Gregory Peck. <laughs> he's vaguely threatening to Gregory Peck, and Gregory Peck's basically his first reaction is okay. He got he said his piece. Maybe he'll leave me alone. And as soon as he realizes that he won't, he goes to Martin Balsam and says, "Look, I'm a rich white lawyer." Hmm. You're a cop. 
do me corrupt favors. And yeah. that's the first thing Martin Balsam does is, okay, well, I can get him run out of town if he doesn't have enough money to have a place to live. We can do him on vagrancy. Dang it, he's got a place to live. Well, maybe he hasn't checked in with his parole officer. Like, he did that too. And then they're like, they're going to harass him. They're going to constantly okay. check him for every single crime that gets committed. It, it, they're going to get him, like, because of, like, the bad, like, it looks bad when you're arrested in your house or your landlady kicks you out and now you got to get a new place. And, like, they're just harassing him. Hmm. He is using corruption to solve his problems. And he doesn't really see a problem with this. Now, granted... This is an extreme situation, and Robert Mitchum is a very bad man. But the film wisely doesn't approve of what Gregory Peck is doing. Yeah, and Robert that, that Mitchum makes it a noir and yeah, not just and a thriller. It makes it a noir, and it gives uh, the the Robert Mitchum character, uh, Katie is his name, Max Katie, Max Katie, yeah. uh, a a kind of devil like quality where he's taken a man who is ostensibly decent mm-hmm. morally is, morally upright yeah. and is uh, immediately squeezing him to do worse and worse things it's like yeah. joker batman sort of thing a little bit where like the joker how, says, how corrupt yeah, can i make look you? how awful i am why don't you just commit murder to get rid of me oh wait you don't commit murder well what if i do this will you murder me that like he's yeah te- it's tempting and, them to do and we things. see at the beginning of the film, if you pay attention, there's a bit where we first meet Gregory Peck. He's in a courtroom and he is trying to make sure they want like a continuance before they put like a witness on the stand. Mm. And Gregory Peck is like trying to make sure this witness gets on the stand. And the judge is like, this is an incredibly old man. And this is Georgia, mm. like the deep South in the summer. This place is a sauna at, during the day. It could be a risk for his health. And Gregory Peck is just like, well, it's what the law demands. And it's like, so you realize he's a little morally flexible at the beginning. Okay. But it just, you're right. It cascades and it gets worse and worse. And you realize that there are no heroes here. Um, Cape Fear, there's so much I want to talk about this movie because I think this movie is really incredible. But I want to talk about it on a sort of, a, a, it's on its thematic levels. Because in addition to just being a story about a predator, mm. someone who is going to attack Gregory Peck's wife and daughter. Yeah. At really horrifying really attack at the end. Really explicit terms. Yeah, yeah. Like it's as explicit as you can get in the 1960s. Like mm. it's pretty severe. Um, it, it's... It's also playing off of a fear that I think would be more codified in cinema in the 1970s, which is, dang it, all of these laws are doing are protecting the criminals. Mm-hmm. Where, really, if you're a good person, you should be able to manipulate the law to do whatever yeah. you want. You should be able to shoot anybody you want as long as they're intimidating and you're rich and white and can get mm-hmm. away with anything, right? And the Isn't movie that... is really kind of sleazy about that. Because well, it's it should be straightforward. This guy's mm-hmm. bad, but... It also is trying to create this nightmare scenario in which every anxiety you have about the criminal element, mm. about the prison system, which clearly doesn't rehabilitate anyone if Cape Fear is to be believed, uh, about anything at all really, is the legal system exists to protect bad people. Ergo, going outside the law to solve your problems is totally justified. Police corruption mm. is only cops doing the right thing because bureaucracy won't let yeah, them. Yeah, I, I was that's, thinking... That's despicable. I, I admit, I was I was thinking a lot about Dirty Harry when I yeah. was watching Cape Fear. Same. Dirty Harry came out a, a decade after this, but... Uh, and Dirty Harry was responding to something that was going on uh, in uh, in politics at the time, 
with the uh, impl- implementation of Miranda rights. Yeah, which is which that, were kind of a novelty when Dirty Harry came out. And, and you probably know idea, what they are, but like the idea is when you're arrested, they need to make sure that you are aware of your rights, otherwise they could exploit your ignorance there. Yeah, and, and you hear yeah. that in cop shows. You have the right to remain silent. Yeah, that, like, you don't have to say anything. We're not going to beat a confession out of you. You have the right to stay silent. Yeah. Uh, this is actually, and a lot of, a lot of people uh, really objected to this. This was a big uh, Republican talking point mm-hmm. back in the, the 1970s that why are we giving rights to criminals? We should just be beating them up. If we know they're guilty out on the street, yeah. we should just be able to hit them on the head and kill them. And that's that. That's right. They're guilty until yeah. proven innocent exactly. was the conservative talking point. At yeah. The time. yeah. So, um, yeah. uh, and yeah, the, so the idea of the criminal as somebody who can hide inside bureaucracy was a, a, a conservative concern and it's something that Cape Fear taps into and it's something that Dirty Harry is explicitly about. Dirty Harry is really celebratory of it though, whereas, I mean, it's, yeah. it's ugly and it's, it's a mean spirited film, but Dirty yeah, Harry is in the it's, right. It's, it's a very bleak film. Yeah. But yeah, Callahan is, is mm. in the right and it's uh, it's a very conservative film. Yeah. Whereas it, it takes this sort of anti prisoner rights tack as, as yeah. its central theme. Whereas I think Cape Fear is actually a lot savvier about mm. it. I mean, it's, it's still a, a paranoia scare film in a lot of ways, but we, it, it understands how these kinds of privileges sort of work beyond the simple level of Gary Cooper is rich and white and he can have the blades do whatever he wants. Mm. Um, we even see this with Robert Mitchum, where as, you know, a white threatening male, mm. um, who, not not that all white males, I mean, like he yeah. is a threatening person, but he is also a white male and therefore the kind of person who people aren't necessarily, like, there's a scene in which he assaults a woman. Yeah. It's off screen, but we see her in the aftermath and she's mm. very traumatized and, Telly Savalas, who plays a private detective in this that Gregory Peck hires. He, um, he plays the Martin Balsam role. He does. <laughs> he does play the Martin Balsam role from Psycho. Um, he, he's trying to get her to, like, listen, if you testify against mm. this guy who just attacked you, it was a felony, it's a crime, it's horrible mm. what happened to you. If you testify, we can get this guy put away. And she is understandably not down with that because the courts kind of favor him. Because they're imbalanced in favor of certain types of people, mm. white men. And as a result of her being a seemingly promiscuous woman, they're not going to necessarily protect her. This isn't going to protect her. This isn't going to protect her. And there's a really excellent chance that it won't go her, her way. And that this incredibly violent man who has bragged about doing really hateful, evil, vengeful, violent things to people is just going to kill her. Mm. And you know it's this whole system is fucked. The movie understands that the whole system is fucked, and the movie understands that what Robert Mitchum is able to do, he is only able to do because he has his own level of privilege. It's not as much as Gregory Peck, mm. but he's got some, yeah. and he is exploiting it to every fucking nth degree he can find, and that is a terrifying position for. All of the victims in this movie, all of whom are women. And there's a lot of really incredible performances in here from people like Polly Bergen and mm. uh, uh, Lori Martin plays uh, the daughter. And uh, But they're, they're kind of overshadowed by the men's problems. Yeah. And I feel like really this is a story about their problems, trying to live in this society where men are using them as like 
poker chips. Yeah. You know, like I have power over the the women in your life. Well, but but at the same time, it is depicting the men as being not just corruptible, but kind of corrupt from the start. Yeah. Uh, And, and yeah, we get to see sort of eventually, eventually it does boil down to the, a big confrontation. And if you, you probably know how this film ends because it's, it's part, of the popular, part of the popular it, culture. Yeah, the Simpsons but, did a whole episode on it. Yeah, it's a good yeah. episode, actually. Uh, no, they do not sing Gilbert and Sullivan and the, the no. original Cape Fear. That was oh. just the Simpsons. <laughs> no, uh, that was the Mars Crusades version. They, they actually no, sing I'm Gilbert kidding. and Sullivan? No, I'm kidding. It'd be funny if they did. <laughs> It'd be funny if they did, but no, they didn't. A British tar than ever. Anyway, yeah. um, so, but uh, that's sort of depicted as really kind of thrilling, but I, I also saw it as how far the character had fallen. Yeah. That he's willing to just start doing acts of violence. Yeah, I will create an entrapment scenario in which I will be allowed yeah. to kill yeah. Max Cady because, I and in doing so, I have put my wife and daughter yeah, yeah. in mortal peril, but that's the only way I can think of to solve my problems. Mm. You're right, that is fucked up. It, it's, it's, and... Not that we have any sympathy whatsoever for Max Cady. No, he, he's a he, monster. He never shows any vulnerability. He's just this no horrible, humanity horrible whatsoever. Person. Like I believe he exists, mm-hmm. but he's clearly as villainous as a person can get. Yeah. Uh, so you can say that he's doing something kind of righteous and taking out this evil man, but more than anything, I think it's about his fall. Mm-hmm. It's not about Max Cady. It's about Gregory Peck. Yeah. And how, uh, yeah, how he is already corrupt and how women fall victim to that corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came out in the early 60s, and I've seen other films from about this era. Psycho is another one. Lolita is another one, where women and girls are essentially uh, seen as the tragic chattel for the corrupt minds of evil men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really kind of ex- exploring how... Uh, a, I don't know why this was just the early 60s, because this... Masculinity, well, it's not just the early Well, I mean, 60s, there, there was this, there's like, this there was trend. Definitely a there's a small trend of dismantling a lot of conventional masculine tropes. Yeah. And I feel like when we got to the 70s, we had a lot of like war films that, and, and westerns that were kind of celebrating masculinity again like there was this wave back up yeah uh, by the time we got to something like dirty harry and a character like callahan who is celebrated for his uh callousness and his ability to do violence and that masculine instinct in him i feel like cape fear is trying to deconstruct that a little bit and that's yeah. what i appreciate most about it, it's a very intelligent fear. film yeah. it's it's a it's a sleazy and gross film mm-hmm. but all of that is weaponized, I think. Yeah. And all of that is done to an intelligent, albeit often very, very gross degree. Um, and I think a big part of the reason why it works is because it is it is presented with such incredible slickness, but that slickness never belies the seedy underbelly. When I say it has a stink, I meant that as a compliment. Yeah. Because this movie is, first off, it's gorgeously filmed. It's filmed by Sam Leavitt. Uh, who was an incredible cinematographer who was, uh, he worked on Exodus, Anatomy of a Murder, The Defiant Ones. Uh, oh, it's directed by Jay Lee Thompson, by the way. We didn't yeah. mention the directors. So oh, yeah. Jay Lee Thompson is an excellent filmmaker as well. Uh, Bernard Herman did the score, and it's a good Bernard <laughs> Herman score. This is a, the, 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 in fact, uh, the score from Bernard Herman is so good that mm. Martin Scorsese pretty much just used that in the remake. He mm. didn't need to switch it up. It's, just that good a score um but uh it's it's 
gorgeously photographed, lots of starkness to it. Um, really interesting camera moves. Um, it's a terrifying film. Mm. It is a frightening film. It is an unpleasant film, and I get why it wasn't a hit. Because <laughs> it's not a good time at the cinema. Mm. It is, however, kind of a great movie in its way. It's yeah, it's it really is. vile, but like again, it is doing so with more intelligence than some of the other films that we've talked about this week. Mm. It's, yeah, it, for sure. Weirdly I, I, enough, I, it's actually a pretty good conclusion to the conversation that we're having yeah, this it's, week. It's, it's a noir not just in its style, but in its uh, intellectual construct. That yeah. is to say, uh, noir films tend to take place in worlds where uh, heroism doesn't exist. Yeah. And we cast someone like Gregory Peck, who exudes uh, heroism and decency, as this guy who will eventually fall. And I think that's pretty savvy casting. Yeah. I think if you were to remake uh, Cape Fear today, Tom Hanks in the Gregory Peck role. Oh, in the Gregory Peck yeah. role. I was about to say, like, I don't know about <laughs> Gregory Peck role. Yeah. 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 That'd be good. He'd be, wow. Yeah. And who'd be Max Katie? I don't know. You get any heavy. I don't know. Anyone yeah, at all. Any, Tom Hardy. Fine, yeah. Be good. You know. Tom Hardy leaps to mind for sure. Yeah. But, uh, definitely someone who just yeah. flings it. Um, Maybe some no, of no, more slithery, like Tom Hiddleston. No, Any of the Toms. No, no, uh, McConaughey. Tom McConaughey? Matthew McConaughey. Everyone else we talked about was a Tom. I suppose so. You get <laughs> you get Matthew McConaughey to play Max Cady. He'd be a good Max Cady. He would. Yeah. He would, act actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> basically an evil mud. Like, that's basically what we're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. Yeah, that'd be cool. And, and Tom Hanks, who, yeah, is, typically plays these very decent characters, or at the very least projects decency from within whatever character he's playing because yeah. Tom Hanks is a decent guy. Yeah. And if you have him play a role, can you imagine at the end where uh, Tom Hanks is on like, like drowning Matthew McConaughey in a sump somewhere? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. I would love to see that movie. Yeah, wrong. Um, uh, Jay Lee Thompson had a very interesting mm. career. Um, he, he got to start gun, doing Guns of Navarone. Guns of Navarone was a huge uh, film. Followed that up with the, Cape Fear. Two of the Planet of the Apes movies in the 70s. Uh, was it two? I thought he just did Conquest. No, he did Battle. You're yeah, right. He did My Conquest bad. and Battle. Uh, Conquest is quite good. Battle, not so much. <laughs> uh, His Battle had a budget of $500. I know. I feel bad for him <laughs> because there's some good ideas there, but man, it did not work. Um, but he's he ended his career doing a lot of stuff for canon. So he did like Death Wish for the Crackdown and well, no, Firewalker and uh, King Solomon's Minds, not Kin the good one. Kinjite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, but a hardworking director who brought a lot to everything he did. Death Wish for the Crackdown has one of the best human body explosions in any movie you can find me as an expert in human body explosions i've i've seen a in lot movies. in movies in and movies. uh so in, we're clear in movies yeah <laughs> yeah that's 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 the ticket yeah no if it, you can find it online that somebody probably just plucked it out the whole movie the crackdown is completely stupid but yeah at the, at the end Charles Bronson blows up the bad guy with the shoulder mounted rocket launcher like in in an outdoor mall somewhere nice. and uh yeah it's it's pretty how spectacular it, how does it compare to the time the Punisher killed a guy with a shoulder-mounted rocket launcher and hit him with the rocket while the guy was in mid-parkour jump over a building. That, that's the best part of Punisher Warzone. I agree. Uh, and there's a lot of really fun gore in that movie. Again, also really stupid, <laughs> but a lot of really fun gore. That movie knows yeah. what it is. It does. That it movie does, is yeah. not pretending to be anything that it's not, mm. and I can respect that. Anyway, Cape Fear. Uh, Martin Scorsese's remake, Whitney hasn't seen it. I haven't seen um, it. Yeah, I can't comment. It is, it is very much an update. Uh, I'm not going to go into great 
detail because it's not what we're here to talk about. But who plays um, the Gregory Peck role in that one? Oh, it's uh, Nick Nolte. Nick, oh, okay. Nick Nolte. Uh, but Gregory Peck oh, has but, a cameo in it as well. Martin Balsam has a cameo in it. And... Probably Nick Nolte is. I, I look at Nick Nolte and I see Max Cady. Right. So I, I. Well, actually, they they rewrote the film a little bit to make Nick Nolte maybe a little more like. Anyway, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Martin Scorsese's horror movie. He hasn't really done a horror movie except for Cape Fear and Cape Fear oh, and, and Shutter Island. Shutter Island is. Yeah, I guess it's a horror movie. I consider it more like a mystery, I guess. But I, consider, I see your point. Right. There's an argument to be made. Um, but Cape Fear is very, very much a horror movie. Robert De Niro is playing a monster in a monster movie. Mm. There's almost no subtlety about it whatsoever. It is also exhilarating and is also incredibly sleazy and incredibly gross. And it is mm. also done with a lot of style. And I think it is an underappreciated film in Martin Scorsese's canon. Uh, so if you want to check out both Cape Fears are really good. And then by all means, see the Simpsons episode because it's brilliant. <laughs> it's such a great, it's one of the best episodes of the Simpsons ever. If you've never seen it, see the Simpsons Cape Fear episode. It's, it's incredible. With, with Bart and Sideshow Bob. Yeah. It's so damn good. <laughs> Bart, Bart wakes up and his like radio alarm is like, Hey, we have a, we have a, uh, we have a request from Sideshow Bob to one Bart Simpson with the message, I am going to kill you slowly and violently. Yeah! <laughs> wipeout! <laughs> <laughs> they had to license Wipeout. They didn't I do know. that a lot of the Simpsons. That was, ex- it was expensive. That was an expensive joke. <laughs> it was worth it. Mm. Um... Anyway, that is it for Critically Acclaimed this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with reviews of more new releases, I guess. Well, we'll, re- we'll be reviewing Enola Holmes at the very least. That's a new... Oh, is that a movie? I thought that was like a show. It's, it's a movie. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm down. I'm interested. Henry Cavill is uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes. and um... it's, Well, it's about his, his uh, teenage daughter. Yeah, Millie Bobby Brown, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Mm. Great casting. That sounds cool. Um, well, I'm excited about that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, also, on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, uh, we asked which classic film on the Roku channel we should review next week. If you have a Roku, it's a little device that connects to your uh, TV. Some TVs have it already built in. Uh, it is a system by which you can put basically all, well, most of the streaming channels that you have in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very effective. They're actually pretty cost efficient. I have it's, one. I'm glad I got it's it. It's pretty handy. And if yeah. you don't have a Roku device, you can just go online to therokuchannel.com mm-hmm. and get all of the same things just for free right yeah. there. And uh, the Roku channel is, is Roku's like specific channel, and they don't have a lot, mm. but they do have a fair amount of stuff if you're just looking there's, for something for free. Yeah, you there's know? a few classics lurking in there. Yeah. So, yeah. so we picked a bunch of classic films that were currently on the Roku channel. We uh, we asked our listeners to... Actually, I actually haven't seen what won the poll yet. Um, mm. the, uh, the options were The 39 Steps, the Alfred Hitchcock original, uh, The Pride of the Yankees. Again, only one of us maybe hasn't seen all of these. Mm. Like, we're not throwing anyone under a bus here. Uh, 39 Steps, Pride of the Yankees, uh, the George Cukor version of Gaslight, which people forget was a remake, uh, and In the Heat of the Night, and the winner was Gaslight. We'll be doing mm. Gaslight on next week. If you ever heard the term gaslighting, that's the movie. That's where it came from. And I've seen Gaslight. Man, it's oh. the, it was the, one, of those four was the one I saw. And I ah, picked it. okay. So, well, you hadn't seen Cape Fear, so yeah, I, and yeah. I had seen Cape Fear, okay. so 
Turnabout is fair play. Well, we get, you get to rewatch Gaslight. It's supposed to yeah, be what, quite good. What a trial. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, um, I have to rewatch Gaslight. So that's what we'll be doing. And if I can make the time, I might watch the original Gaslight, too, if I can find okay. it. Um, do a little comparison. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, uh, that is up for next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, you can also send us emails. Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email address. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, we take questions, requests, uh, you want recommendations, you want to recommend something to us, anything at all, really. We're pretty much open books. Um, and, of course, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have a metric ton, figuratively. I don't want to get, I don't want people to be like, oh, I've, I've made room for all of this content. Like, no, no, it's, it's on the line. We have a ton of content. We have a lot of content, is basically the gist of my presentation. Uh, we have a ton of stuff over there. Figuratively. And uh, we have podcasts about we're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek ever made. We're having podcasts where we've, uh, uh, we're doing every single episode of Batman from the 1960s. We're doing that right now. Uh, we've got an episode. We got a podcast in which we talk about every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We have a podcast where we talk about films that should be on Disney Plus but mysteriously are not. Uh, and a ton of other stuff besides commentary tracks, polls for upcoming episodes. You name it. Hmm. We might have it. I mean, I mean, you could name like you like a puppy. Like we're not gonna, we don't have puppies. We're not gonna mail you a puppy. Way to sell it passionately. Look, it's twelve thirty a.m. All right, all right. Let's let's wrap this up because I I need to get into bed. I also need to get into bed. Thank you everybody for listening, and I have to edit this. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody, especially thank you to our patrons without whom this wouldn't be possible. We're intensely grateful to you. And uh, never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what?